Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to Financials Podcast, Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty, and I am your host, and also a CFP, and I am here with fan favorite Marcus from Paychecks and Balances. Hey, Marcus. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Well, as well as one can be in the middle of the pandemic sweeping the nation. I know. So we had planned to have you on the podcast pre-pandemic, but I think that this is now a timely conversation. Um so I think last year we were saying we were talking about emergency fund, and I think the emergency fund is now going to be come out of this looking really good. I feel like I always have gotten pushback on the emergency fund, and it's going to be like the shining star, I think, through this whole thing. Well, I'll go ahead and you know reflect first. You know, so last time we talked, I had either recently – I know I talked about it on the show. I would gotten my car towed. So that was my aha moment. That was my original wake-up call, like, okay, maybe I do need an emergency fund. And for those who aren't familiar, this is the first time hearing me on the show. So I wrote a book called Debt Fear, Die Trying. Um, you would think with a title like that, they'd like, oh, he's a financial guru. He's got six months of living expenses. But as you and I know, I've never, it's more of a mental thing. Like I just, I'm like, why would I just have cash sitting around earning 1.85% interest? By the way, it was 2.15 last time we had this conversation. <laughs> so, so it's gone down. These the high yield account is now 1.85. I know because I checked. And so I, I did fund it up. So I funded up my emergency fund, but I was still resistant. So instead of like, I, I had read some article somewhere they were talking about, like they did all these statistics. I'm an auditor for the, for the day job. So they did all the statistical analysis and they said that actually most people only need, a, I think it was market watch or business insider. Of course, you know, the most reliable network on the internet. And they're like, actually you only need like two months of expenses. So I was like, okay, I need an emergency fund. I can wrap my head around that. I put aside a few thousand and I was good. And then I am no longer good. I mean, I'm fine. Like I'm fortunate. You didn't for... have an emergency. Yeah, I didn't have an emergency. The United States of America had an emergency. Like, I, <laughs> I didn't land on this emergency. This emergency landed on me type of thing. <laughs> Which is actually something we've never talked about with like the emergency fund is always meant for you if you lose your job or something happens in your universe. But it works really well when it's something happens to the country, which is something we've never, you know, whenever I'm getting pushback on the emergency fund, I'm always this like, well, it's there to keep your plan in place. And, you know, when you need it, you don't want to have to, if you don't have it, you have to use a credit card. And I've never really brought in the conversation to be like, well, there are some emergencies that are going to be well outside of your control, like a global pandemic, like never came up in any conversation I've ever had. Right. And, um, 
it's talked about. So I read, I read uh, Dave Ramsey's. I read fifteen books, but I read Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. He talks about emergency fund. He presents it more of a, a peace of mind uh, for those who aren't aren't familiar. I believe he calls them baby steps or seven of them, but I believe his first one is to set aside a thousand dollars in the payoff debt and then to move into building up to three to six months of expenses. So he gets some pushback because some people are like, well, you can't do it after whatever order. I kind of come from the philosophy of the best plan is a plan that works. I don't like to get into arguments about whatever plan that you're using and tailored to your lifestyle. So I, I kind of resonated with that. And I think that's why I had so much hesitancy to just have cash sitting around because it just felt like it wasn't doing anything. But to your point, I, I also, that's what's so maybe, unfortunately, we're going through it in real time. So hopefully it'll be historically fascinating, but it's like interesting to go through it now. And as we were kind of joking before we started the show, I, I, I'm going through this. Uh, I got three areas that I wanted to talk about, but I, I've kind of termed it accelerated adaptation. And it came from when I was going through a mentorship program, my my mentor was like, you're going to go through accelerated maturation. And he kept putting me in these what he called friendly fire scenarios where like I'd go to a meeting and I'm an introvert by nature, which is strange to people because I have a podcast and a blog. <laughs> I've been writing online for 15 strange. years. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I actually prefer to keep to myself. So this whole work for home, shelter at home, like I'm in, I'm in paradise. I'm like, really? I love this. Right. I could have been doing this the whole time. Like they don't have to drag me back to work. And, um, it's so I just couldn't wrap my head around just like having that money sit there. And now to your point, it's like, I'm thinking of all these things I was relaxing about doing like, I, cause I always just thought I had time. Like most people, I'm just like, when you, when you time makes you lazy. <laughs> yes. You can always do it tomorrow. You can always okay. do it next week. There's no urgency with accomplishing anything when you have time on your side. Yeah. It's, um, I, I, and that's why I was able to do two months. I was just like, okay, like I'm good because even if you looked at my own history, um, and I read something about this recently, which is funny. Um, I even had no example of going two months without like income. So I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's 200,000 percent more income than I would ever need because I've never been, you know, without income. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and, and uh, I'm 37 to give people some context here. So that's a pretty good run. <laughs> that's a great run. actually. <laughs> and I, I want to be like clear. Uh, and that's what's so difficult about this situation. We just released an episode as well on our podcast at Paychecks and Balances is what's scary for me about this situation is I don't know how scared to be. You know, mm -hmm. is it hashtag yeah. fake news? Is it the world is ending? Is it going to be a blip? Is it the end? Like, and so therefore I'm like, do I need two months or do I need to start burying cash in the backyard? Like, what are we <laughs> like? Exactly. What are we yeah. What scale are we on here? And another, I don't know if it's a benefit or a drawback of being 37 is both the perspective of being through the financial crisis, the uh, internet boom and bust and so i've i've seen the build up the blow up and then live through the other side and in some ways that i guess normalizes is the word that i'm going to use where at least i have some comfort that i've survived crises before um a lot of them at this point i have a collection of crises that i have survived however is that made me prepared for this crisis or lazy 
<laughs> and I, I, I don't know. Uh, obviously, I only had two months of emergency fund, so I, I'm kind of uh, working um, backwards to do things that I should have done the whole time. And I am currently, presently, I'm one of those essential uh, workers to date. And so even the emergency fund that I'm trying to fund isn't for like, I'm unemployed now. And I'm like, okay, I've only got 61 days to go. It's more like, okay, I'd like to build this up for whatever scenario comes next. Yeah. It, so basically this is kind of highlighted why it feels good to have one, I think. Yeah. What, what is the, the quote that people always say, like a, an emergency fund turns an emergency into an inconvenience. And yeah. like, yeah. I'm highly inconvenienced right now, but I'm more, I'm more, even in that there's a privilege because I'm emotionally inconvenienced. Like I'm not even dipping into the fund. It's just that I want the fund to be larger if I do have to dip into it. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, I think it's good news to hear that you're on board with the emergency fund. I really do think <laughs> that emergency fund's reputation is going to be so repaired through this because, as you said, you're an essential worker. But for the people that, you know, had really consistent in like so if you were like a successful bartender or waitress and, you know, even if you left one job, you went to another because there was ample opportunity for you. I mean, that industry is really hurting. And so, like, there are so many people that are really going to rely on the emergency fund now. Hopefully, they have one, right, to just kind of get them through this period of time. And we, and the unfortunate part is you just, we don't know how long this period is going to last. Right. And to your point, something that's been fascinating to me, so I'm not sure we are going to release this recording. So we're about, you know, depending on when you started counting, we're about day 26 into the quarantine. You know, you see all these memes and everything going around. And, and yeah, we're, we're going to release this. We're going to try and keep it timely. So it's going to come out next week. So we'll, okay. we'll be seven days okay, behind. Yeah. And the reason I say that is I saw a headline. They may be bankrupt by the time this comes out. But there was a headline that said Cheesecake Factory wasn't going to pay rents on any of their April, properties for April. April 1st. And I'm like, what? That's they don't have one month? <laughs> yeah. So I'm pretty sure that restaurants, I mean, restaurants obviously have high carrying costs, meaning like they're for the listeners, like their expenses to run the business are really, you know, refrigeration costs, food costs, staffing, all of that is expensive. Um, yeah. So I had read that, that like maybe like a good restaurant would have like two months curing, but that they don't have a ton of runway. Yeah. And that is the, um, the ability to look at it from the outside perspective. So I appreciate you providing that context. I mean, that does make sense to me because I wasn't accounting for, you know, basically the freshness of the food probably doesn't give them a lot of ability to just have a cash or quote unquote, whatever the equivalent is for a company of an emergency fund. However, and I'll still say that does blow my mind that they don't have one month. I mean, if they didn't have three, six, that would still be crazy to me. And it somewhat still is, but not to have one month of expenses for I mean, any event, like what if people like a recession or anything took place where they're just like, you know what, we're not going to go out to eat as much. And I mean, if we're 24 days in and it to have that significant of an impact on it was surprising to me. And I mean, I'm using Cheesecake Factory because they're the ones that got the national headlines, but I'm sure that is representative of a lot smaller and larger chains across the board. And that's what I say. like, I think, I think some of the larger conglomerates maybe do better. Um, so I was surprised to read about Cheesecake Factory, but yeah, that's incredible to think if they were running themselves as a household that they didn't have enough money to make the next month rent. So I, I, I am going to put you on a spot with a slight 
I think, related tangent, but also selfishly to help me out. Uh, hopefully you answer correctly because it's going to bias my decision. I'm probably going to do what I want to do anyway. <laughs> but hopefully the, the listeners will benefit from this. So with this um, pandemic taking place and where we stand right now as of March 2020 and wherever we may be in April, and I, I do know there's a lot of unknown factors, what would be your thoughts on, so to date I've been investing in pre- predominantly index funds. I don't plan on changing that, but I had been investing in uh, pre-tax index funds and I have the option to invest in a Roth 401k to be exact. So I can, I can still get the, I know some people are like, well, then you lose out on the money, but I have an opportunity to look into a 401k Roth. So I could still invest that 19,500, which I wasn't hitting anyway. That's like a personal goal of mine. My question is Roth or pre-tax? Ah, so this is such a tough question. And I did a podcast earlier today and okay. So my high level answer is there's no right or wrong. Right. I like I love the Roth IRA and Roth dollars um, because obviously they are tax free in retirement and don't cause taxation of Social Security, which I hope we can all collect when we retire. Um, And it's the only vehicle Um, I go back and forth. So ideally, what I like to see people do is take advantage of all of their financial goals. So, for instance, um, if doing the pre-tax option at work allows you then to also save for a down payment on a house and pay off student loans. And if we were doing the Roth option, you wouldn't be able to make as much progress on your other goals. Then I would lean towards pre-tax. If you can, because the hard thing I think about being young is there's multiple financial goals that you're trying to tackle. And so I think it's a balance of, I would rather see someone do pre-tax versus Roth and then get the student loans paid off and get the down payment saved for versus doing all Roth and not really getting to the other goals as quickly as they might want to. Does that make sense? It does. So without knowing the numbers, I, if you can afford to do the Roth and still tackle all your other goals, I really like the Roth option. If the pre-tax gives you more breathing room to get more dollars on the other goals, then there's nothing wrong with doing pre-tax at work and then doing a Roth on your own. And then knowing at some point in your life, if you might have a low income year or a year like this, where we're in a down market scenario and you have that, let's, we'll just pretend you have like a robust emergency fund doing a Roth conversion at that point. Can you, and, and maybe you can, I actually don't know how in, entailed the conversation is. I've heard of the Roth conversion. Is there like a high level of what that entails, like a five-step overview? Yeah. So we'll do the high level overview. So the disclaimer is you definitely need to consult a tax professional because it's a more complicated strategy, but ultimately we'll just say that all, um, any sort of retirement account that's pre-tax, so 401k, 403b, let's just put them into, we'll just say all of those monies are currently in an IRA. We're going to give another little disclaimer saying that you have no non-deductible dollars. So if you know what a non-deductible dollar is, you probably have it. So we're going to say that you have an IRA that's all pre-tax, right? And then what it is, is you basically say to the government, I'm willing, we'll just say you have 20000 in this IRA. You know, you were in a 401k, you rolled it over to an IRA to switch jobs. So now you're going to have, fast forward to today, we have a pandemic, the market's down 30, you know, S&P is down 35%. You have this robust emergency funds. You say to the government, you know what, I'm going to take my $20,000 IRA that's now down to, what would it be? I don't know, 
$14,000 and I want to pay you taxes on the $14,000 today. I'm not going to take a distribution, but I'm going to convert those dollars from pre-tax to Roth and they're going to end up in a Roth IRA using the Roth conversion. So essentially what you do is you don't pay tax dollars out of the conversion. You pay them from your robust emergency fund that's making the 1.85% in the high yield savings because you're under 59 and a half. So if you were to pay your taxes out of that strategy, you would get dinged with the penalty, right? So next year, when you go to file your taxes, you have $14,000 more of income. It's treated as income and you pay your taxes then. And then what you did is you moved what was originally 20,000 that the market pushes down to 614 and you pay tax on 14 and you let it recover on the tax-free side, right? And then fast forward down the road into retirement, it's still tax-free, but you paid the taxes on it when it was on in a, at a market low. Uh, okay. I, I really appreciate that. If I didn't think you mess with this. Yeah, it actually made a lot of sense. <laughs> hey, good. It's hard. I normally like to draw a picture and obviously, you know, you're in Texas and I'm in Utah, so I can't draw you a picture. Um, but that's like the high level, easiest way to think about it is if you have two circles, one's an IRA pre-tax, one's a Roth IRA post-tax, and you just move the monies from the one bucket all the way into the other bucket, and then you pay out of a third bucket, which is your emergency fund, the taxes due on that strategy. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. I appreciate that. And I actually was drawing a picture because I got a little notepad over here. So <laughs> hopefully the, if the listening audience wasn't following along, they can uh, rewind, hit the little back button a little 15 seconds, 30 seconds to get back to that. So that did help me. And I'll go ahead. And, and I may very well, I do this on the blog sometimes because no one can stop me. Like I sometimes write blogs for the benefit of talking to myself. And I'm like, okay, this is what you need to do. And then I write 2,000 words that people think is for them. But it's actually a lecture to me. And so the explanation or thought process was, you know, I'm watching this pandemic unfold. I have no idea what the future is going to hold. I need to build up my emergency fund. But actually, fortunately, here's another thing about accelerated maturation is I had some money that I left at a previous employer and they were actually paying 2%. They said, if you leave it with us, I mean, this is their general rule of thumb. If you leave it with us, we'll pay you 2% every year. So, of course, they're going to have years where they make money on it. They're going to have years where they lose money on it. It's just the chance that they take. And I'm like, okay, 2% is more than these high yield accounts. I just left it there. And now I'm like, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> I need it back. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm thinking like I'd rather, have, I mean, 2%, I'm going to earn 1.85 for right now, but I'd rather just be in my account. Again, it's a mental safety thing. It's really just mm -hmm. sitting in two different accounts. It really doesn't matter where it's sitting, but it's, I'd rather it be, if I need to dig that hole in the backyard, I'd rather it be with me than with them. And <laughs> My other thinking was, I'm looking at all this. Um, so as uh, this recording, and I, this actually got signed, so this won't change. They just signed this two dollar, or excuse me, two trillion. I wish it was two dollars. Two trillion dollar stimulus package. I'm thinking about this other stimulus package, which I never know when we pay these stimulus packages off. But in my head, I'm like, that sounds like higher taxes. <laughs> I don't know when, I don't know where, but where is it going to come from? Cause exactly. I, it, it hasn't been signed by the house yet. I don't think right. As of today. Um, I think it was going through the signature process, but if, so as of right now, you know, we're in the past. So the people who are listening to this will be in the future, which is, that's always funny to me. When we're doing podcasts like that. So yeah, um, It should be signed by now. It'll yes. be signed by, now. by the time so, yeah, they're hearing this in their ears, it's probably signed. It's signed. So yeah, I'm curious to see, and I think it's great that they're going to be providing stimulus, but I'm curious to see how they're going to get the checks out to people. And then also I'm curious about the, yeah, how are they going to pay for it? And then are the checks taxable, right? So it's my understanding, actually, that's a good point because I can't, 
I was part of, or I'm old enough to recall back in my day. Oh, yeah, they, they, they put it right on top of your check. So when um, I, I think it was under Obama, it might have been under Bush. That's how old I am. I'm at that point where all the years just run together, to be perfectly honest <gasps> with you. You're um, not that old me. Like, I don't think I remember that. <laughs> well, um, there was, it, was a, it was either health care or something where they basically put $60 just right on top of your check. And it, it was something stimulus-oriented. Like they didn't, they said they were going to, like in the news, it was like, you're going to get a check for this amount of money. But no one ever got a physical check. I guess maybe you might have if you didn't have an employer, but if I was employed at the time, so they just put it in my check. Does uh-huh. that make sense? And yeah, so therefore it was honestly taxed right out of my check. So I've already seen, now these could be rumors, um, people complaining that, so the numbers that I saw for a single individual was 1200. I know yeah. it'll be, it'll be higher or lower when it's fine. Yeah, when it's finalized. It's my understanding that, yes, that will be taxable. You know, obviously anything subject to change. Um, but I don't, it wasn't my understanding. I think you're supposed to get the gross 1200 and then it's taxable income at the end of the year. Now. Yeah, based on your bracket. That would make sense. The government yeah. very, I mean, I was surprised that the other thing they're doing is they're pushing back the tax deadline so that you don't have to file if you owe until July 15th. Yeah, I uh, I know that because I actually was, I typically file my taxes fairly early. Um, like usually, at, like when I get on February first, I'm filing on February second. I'm, <laughs> I'm that guy, but I'm always so quick because I'm usually getting money. And this is, I want to say, the first year. Now I know again, this is that mental math. I know that this is a good thing that I, I'm in a point in my life where I'm making money. You, I, I owe the government money. I didn't, government. I didn't give the government a free loan for the year. Now. I know that mathematically, but like when I saw the number go negative, I was like, I'm not, I'm not hitting this send button until July. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. They said they'll wait. They'll wait to take their tax money, which is yeah. a good thing. Like if is- they owed me, I'd hit send on February 2nd. But when I owe them, they'll see it in July. <laughs> and the other good thing, I think, is the what they're doing with student loans. So it's 60 days um deferral right. but you have to contact your i don't think it's automatic i believe you have to contact your loan servicer yeah i i mean you may be correct so what i heard was the interest is automatically deferred because that, if it's a federal government loan and, and some people need to clarify that because some people have private loans and federal yeah. uh, loans so if it's a federal loan my understanding is the interest is automatically deferred however if you want to also subsequently defer payment which is also allowed that you have to call for. At least that was the process that I read from one of these, you know, allegedly qualified <laughs> sources that I read from. Um, but I've also seen a lot of confusion around it. And and thematically, I think I, I I'm trying to put this in, in, the, in the correct terms, but I think you and I are knowledgeable people. We're in this space. I've uh, been writing about personal finance for like five to 10 years, depending on which math you have. And I'm still very confused by all of this. So I can only imagine what like the average person is like trying to figure all of this out. Yeah, I was going to say I've been given kind of differing feedback of what people have said. Like I had somebody say that they went on and they said their loan wasn't due for a year. And I was like, well, that's definitely not right. So (laughs) I I always err on the side, which maybe, you know, I'm old fashioned, but I always err on the side of like checking on it um, just to make sure that it's set up the way you think it is. But I think that's great that they're going to defer that. and. You know, if you're in a position, um, you know, where you weren't essential and you lost your job, then absolutely take advantage of it. And I think for those that 
are, you know, like if you're an essential worker and you can still do it, then you could make a principal only payment during that time frame and not have to pay your interest. Yeah. And I, and I, I appreciate you and guess maybe I'm old school as well. I appreciate you for saying that. I mean, generally I give my opinion, but it always ends with, and call your lender, call your lender, call your lender. <laughs> Cause that's going to be the person that, first of all, it's going to make the final decision on it. And I don't, I'm not going to give the advice. Of, oh yeah, don't worry about it. You got 12 months. And then all of a sudden they're in a lean two months in. Um, so all these questions, you know, I think this information will all get ironed out over time, but I feel like there's just so much happening so quickly. And for, and I say call your lender in this particular circumstance, but basically I'm saying go to the source. So you can read Business Insider, you can read Market Watch, you can follow your grandmama on Facebook and you can see your friends tweet, but I would still call the source of the lender. A hundred percent. I always feel the same way because it just depends on yeah your own specific situation and, and what you have. And right. You also need to know if you have private and versus federal loans. And some people don't have a good handle on the breakdown because it's not always that clear. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Because we are working on a student loan class that will hopefully come out. And I just feel like there's so much confusion among student loans. Like why are your balances going up when you're paying and a very adversarial relationship i feel like with the student loan well and let me caveat i'm about to move into rumor side so everything we <laughs> talked about was factual here but i'm pretty sure this is accurate but it is testimonial evidence and as an auditor i have to disclose that that is the least reliable evidence <laughs> but somebody from europe told me that that's how loans are set like loans so loans in America are set up on our amortization schedule, which means typically, unless you pay over the uh, minimum payment, you're you're not paying towards the principal first. So usually you pay towards the interest first. That's why, like, when people pay off their or start to try to pay off their home, they're like, I spend here, I've been in here for ten years, and I only knocked off, you know, forty thousand in interest, but I made sixty thousand in payments or something like that. It's because yeah, those those 100%. first part, yeah, the first whatever the schedule is. It's set up to go towards the interest. And then that's why if you make it <laughs> the last 20 years, you start to pay down the principal so quickly. So this rumor, I, and then again, asterisk, the rumor was that their payments are equally towards the principal and towards the interest. This blew my mind. Like, <laughs> uh, well, I, so I, I, I'm still shocked. <laughs> would be even if, so student loans are even worse than that because, so mortgages, yes, 100% you pay all your interest, you pay interest, 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 right? Initially when you first start paying, mm -hmm. but they show you the schedule. With a student loan, the worst part is you not only pay interest in principal, but if you have unpaid interest on your loan and caveat that this, you have to check with your lender, but this is, I would say more common than not. Um, if there's any interest not paid on your loan, they add it back to the original amount you borrowed and recalculate the interest. It's called interest capitalization. They charge you interest on interest. I wish I had a camera because you just dropped Are my job. <laughs> and no one and no one talks about this, but basically the way I like to describe it, it's basically loan shark math. Right. Like Interest on interest. It's like when you hear of those people who go out of business because they ran out of money for their business, and they went to a loan shark and they charged them like 26% daily. And you're like, how, why would you ever do that? That's kind of how I feel about the student loan industry. Wow. Yeah, okay. Well, you, wow. All right. you just blew my mind. I, I've learned two new facts, both of them horrible. Super adversarial when it comes to student loans. And that's not to say, I don't know that that can't confirm that for every lender, but I do know that that is it is interest capitalization. You can Google it. It is does happen. And that's why when people 
Um, that's why I said you could do like a principal only payment for your loans right now because you don't have to worry about the interest, which is, which is great because then technically now they shouldn't be capitalizing interest. And I, I don't I can't confirm if the feds do it. It is a it is a feature of student loans and it's not something you see on um, mortgages because it's a set term, right? It's 30 years. You're going to pay interest for this number of years, primarily interest. And then you can like watch the schedule and it's really clear. They tell you what your payment is. As long as you make those payments for 30 years, then you're paid off. Right. And student loans is like, you could make those payments for 30 years and still owe money if it's not set up the right way. Yeah. I mean, I could spiral into a whole conspiracy lane. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll leave it at that. That's the whole session. We, we probably should because I'm, I'm about to jump down the rabbit hole. So. Okay. Um, well, I wanted to bring up one other thing. So we talked about the stimulus bill and, you know, I've mentioned that the stock market is down. You um, tweeted out, I thought, like a really interesting comment about uh, the behavioral aspect of investing that people, I don't, I should have maybe told you this before I was going to pull it up, but um, if you remember it, it basically said the fact that your brain becomes more risk-seeking in bull markets and more conservative in bear markets. Yeah, so that's actually a quote from Dan Crosby. I just did a review of his book. It's actually pretty interesting. Well, I don't I don't know why I opened it that way. It is an interesting book. No need to disclose it, actually. Uh, but the title of the book is The Behavioral Investor, and I've kind of done this thing, and it started off twofold. So I, it was actually a listener came on our show. Uh, that episode was Behind the Brilliance with uh, Lisa Nicole Bell, and she made an offhand comment. This happens a few times on the show o- across the years where someone will be like, yeah, you can read 300. It- it's basic math, but she's like, yeah, you can probably read a 300-page book. All you got to do is read 10 minutes a day. And I was like, Err? you know, I did a Scooby-Doo <laughs> face. <laughs> Now, and I say that because I had read it like, and I, I had I hadn't done pleasure reading. I'm like the typical millennial now, where all my reading is done through uh, social media. And I was like, you know what, I'm I'm gonna try that out. And I so I just I made a you know a, a vow to myself to read ten pages a day, and I read like four books in in three months. And I was like, I I might be on to something awesome. here. Yeah. And so I read another eleven, and that was the original fifteen. So if you go to paychecksandbalances.com/books, I read the fifteen best personal finance and investment books. And she said something also on that show um, that I also thought was fascinating. She was like, well, there's no way you can read 10 to 12 books a year and not be changed as a person. And I was a little, a little bit more doubtful about that. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds a little bit lofty, but she was correct. And so now I'm like in this space where I really can't, I can't really go back to the old habits. I read, I read three books this month, uh, all of them. Well, few of them finance, and one of them was this one, The Behavioral Investor by Daniel Crosby. Funny story. Um, we're trying to get him on the show now. Ultimately, he might come on. But uh, he actually reached out to the show like two years ago. <laughs> He's like, hey, I'm Dr. Daniel Crosby. I wrote a book called uh, The Laws of Wealth and The Behavioral Investor. I'm like, boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me guess you didn't have him on your show. <laughs> yeah, I, I went ahead and swiped left, you know. <laughs> So he might, you know, he might tell me to go meet, you know, Dan O'Leary and Fisticuffs. Well, I think on those uh, dating apps, they show you the picture more than once sometimes. Sometimes no, no, the second time around, you swipe right. Yeah. So that quote comes from him. The review is up on the website now. And kind of what I've learned through that exercise is I'm, and it might just be age and maturity as well, is I'm, I'm leaning into the nerd that I probably always was for the last 10 years, but I've been in denial about for the last 15 years. And 
I also kind of got this other habit. I read another book uh, that I'll be reviewing by James Clear called Atomic Habits, and he talks about habit stacking and, and, and habit, like uh, basically replacing bad habits with good habits. Nothing groundbreaking, but I, you, you kind of got to refresh on these habits as well. And I'm trying to, instead of like killing, I, it was like empty calories, in, empty mental calories. I, uh, I jump automatically. Like I hit the alarm. I, I know the exact cycle. I wake up, hit the alarm, slide left, slide right. I'm in Instagram. I don't have to think about it. Sometimes I did it subconsciously. <laughs> I, I'd be four, 14 cat videos in before I'm like, how did I get here? You know, I haven't even woken up yet. And so I now replace that with the 10 minutes of reading. And that's also been a helpful exercise. So I share all that. I know there's a long way to wait, but I want people both to understand the context, to appre- appropriately attribute that to Daniel Crosby. So maybe he'll come on the show. <laughs> Shout <laughs> after out. I gave him, yeah, after I gave him the swipe left. So uh, y'all can check out the review. And Dan, uh, please come on the show. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. because I think that's one of the things people, besides the uncertainty and, you know, what's going on with, you know, people losing their jobs and whether or not they're essential. I think the other part that's unnerving for people is the volatile market we're dealing with. Um, yeah, yeah. What um, he talks about in the book, and it, it's a fascinating read. I, I read a couple books. Uh, there's another one called Dollars and Cents that's on the list as well, where it talks more about the mental aspect. Mm-hmm. So here I am, ten years in this space, if you will, um, auditor for like since 2005, and I still have that gut reaction of I got to pull everything out of the stock market. <laughs> there was definitely a moment where I opened up a few accounts and I was like. I got to transfer all these into cash. And maybe as we talked about, uh, I was out of the country and maybe that's what stopped me. I'm not really sure which came first, chicken or egg, but ultimately I didn't. So I'm still in I was going to be like, please tell me you didn't. (laughs) Ultimately I didn't, but I still had that gut reaction. And I say that, and we tried to acknowledge that on the show, that it's okay and even psychologically natural to be terrified right now because- (laughs) It is terrifying times, or at least it's confusing times, because there's there's just there's an absence of information. There's also an abundance of misinformation. And he talked about that you are neurologically predisposed to do the exact opposite of the investment strategy of buy low and sell high, mm-hmm. because when things are high, it is like that 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 um, a period mental- of confidence. Yeah, that mental candy I talked about where, oh, everybody's making money. Like, I should buy more. I should buy more, which builds the prices up. And that's the worst time (laughs) to continue buying. And then when the stock market is down, which is technically on sale, you go conservative. like, oh, things are scary. I shouldn't buy. I should be hoarding cash. I'm going to wait until it gets high. It should really be like buy low when it's terrifying and sell high when it seems like it's safe. Yeah, I think who is the, the guru of Omaha, Warren Buffett, I, I think it is. Um, and I'm going to butcher it because I don't have it in front of me, but it's to the effect of be greedy when others are fearful, fearful when others are greedy. So everyone's fearful right now. Technically, we should be greedy. I know. It is, it, I do agree with you. It is hard. And I think that that's most people's reaction is yours. When you see your accounts going down, you just want to stop the loss, right? You're like, okay, I've lost... 10,000. I can handle that. I know that that's what it is. I'm just going to put it in cash. And I, now I know what I like the unknown, I think also contributes to it. Cause you know, it's going to most likely will go down farther, especially with what the environment we're in in the moment and to not know how far I had one woman email me and say, should I be preparing to live in the wilderness? Are we going to zero? And I was like, I hope we're not going to be living in the wilderness because I will not last long at all. Like I'm just learning how to cook through this. Like I cannot make it in the woods. 
Well, I'll, I'll say two things. Neither one of them are mine. <laughs> that's that's another benefit of reading all these books is I can quote other people and seem smarter than I am. Is there was a uh, like an investment hedge fund uh, banker, so he's you know rich and successful, square chin, gray haired. You know how they are, and mm-hmm. he was like, the only time you have to worry about going to zero is alien invasion or um, nuclear war. And he said, at which point there's other things you should be worrying about. And <laughs> although that was dark, that actually gave me great comfort because it will drop. And then Daniel talks about this in his book as well, is um, there's a there's small market corrections. I think he said something like 20 times a year. So people focus on bear and bull markets, but their market corrections of, which I think a correction is 5% up or down, he said that occurs like 20 times every year throughout the year. And so the second thing I would say, both to calm myself, and again, I might be talking to myself more than to the audience, was the way to hedge that, and this is what he speaks to in his book, is it's not the market you should be following. It's that you should have a system in place that you can follow irrespective of what the market is doing. And that's kind of what yeah, the behavioral investor in the concept in the book is about. And so the it was funny that I was reading this book. I actually read this book while I was on vacation. Came back, we were in pandemic. <laughs> so it was very, like, yeah. In Bali and came back to the pandemic. Yeah, it was, it was serendipitous that I read this. Who knows where I'd be? Maybe I'd be withdrawing all my accounts, but for this book. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, again, I, I know all these things intellectually. I've read a lot of books. I'm in this space. I, and it's like the doctor who smokes. Like, I know what I should do. I know the dangers of doing it. but I'm still a human being, and my first reaction is safety, you know, fight or flight. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, no, this is where having a plan and and sticking to it is the key. And that's the, the I feel like the shining, we'll like full, tie it full circle, but that's the shining star of the plan is the emergency fund to give you that kind of peace of mind. Yeah, so I, I was able to get the post in front of me. So what he says here, and I think there's two of them, but one of them is rather than relying on your own mind, and the quote begins, the solution is to become a student of market history instead of falling back on your limited lived experiences. Because essentially he said that human beings are subject to extrapolating the present indefinitely. So whatever yeah. we're going through right now, they think will happen forever. And the market has proven time and time again that that is untrue. And I think historically always recovers over 20 years uh, time span has always been profitable, depending on which time span you look at. And indefinitely, which goes back to the Warren Buffett quote, always goes up. So it is a wealth builder for anyone who is patient enough to ride all the various waves. Yeah, you just have to be able to stay on the roller coaster, really, is what it comes down to and it absolutely is a wealth builder uh did you i think you said you had another question in there no i don't think i have another question um i feel like we've kind of summarized the coronavirus and what's going on in the market and the stimulus bill um and i know that you are relaunching your book right and you're going to put up a free chapter i believe yeah, so the book is Debt Free or Die Trying. Um, that was the original title of How I Buried Myself in $30,000 of Debt and Dug My Way Out by age 30. That was first edition, so I brought it back. I released that in 2016. Uh, as I said, I read 15 and even actually a little bit more than that books on personal finance and investing. I talk about the impact that those have had. The book now is 40 pages of new material, three completely new chapters. Uh, including Debt Free, The Origin Story, The Cost of Doing Living, where I kind of 
actually talks about this experience where I feel like a lot of people don't account for not only changes in their life, but changes in income moving across the, the country. So I talk a lot about how you can both raise your salary and the tools that you should be using as far as cost of living calculators. And I've actually seen this on both sides of the table where I'll be a hiring manager. And so it kind of puts you in this weird place where you have to have the um, thoughts or uh, you're, you're on behalf of the company, essentially. You're on the company's dime. You're doing a hiring and a person basically poorly negotiates. And I'm like sitting over there with my teeth clenched and uh, Arthur, Arthur Fist like ask for more money, negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> like we have more, more, more money to give you and it puts you in this strange place. So I could talk about that external to the company on the podcast, but it t- I, I put that in the book where here's how you can do the due diligence of finding out and knowing your worth and then coming comfortable asking for it. It's something people really struggle with. And I think your biggest opportunities for increasing your salary is when you're switching jobs. Oh, it definitely is. Um, Forbes did a study that said if you stay in the same company for two years, you lose 50% of your income on average. Oh, my God. That's a lot. Yes, I didn't over, think over the lifetime of a career because oh, every yeah. subsequent negotiation is based on your previous uh, salary. And effectively, what the study found is that companies aren't designed to raise the salaries of internal employers. They are in competition with external employers, so they have to lure, lend, and attract new talent, so they have to compete with external employees. But it's kind of like when you move the apartment, you're already there, and they start raising your rent, and yet you look online, and your rent that they're offering new <laughs> new yeah. rents are, are cheaper than the one that they're raising yours on. Like, you're already there. And what the study found is that they typically offer a raise of one to three percent to current employees and five to ten percent for new employees. Yep. Yeah, so it was a fascinating read. All that, of course, is uh, in the new book. And then, as you mentioned, they can get a free copy at my website at themarcusgarrett.com. And I'm also giving away to the first hundred subscribers. If you go there, you'll get a free chapter for free. You can see if you like the book, see if it's something you'll be Ooh. interested in. But if you're on the first hundred, I'll send out a link at the end so you get a free copy of the new book. Well, that sounds like everyone. So hopefully we're releasing this next week. So all of our listeners should go sign up because I read your first book and I think I got a preview of the second edition. Oh, sweet. Sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, everyone should sign up for it. And they can also listen to your podcast, which you put out weekly and that's Paychecks and Balances on, I think, all major podcast networks. Correct? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can't not find us <laughs> on, a, on a podcast player, but Paychecks and Balances, which I host with my uh, co-host, Rich Jones, where which is his real government name. I'm not, you know, I, I have to clarify that. People are like, oh man, that's a really good uh, moniker. I was like, no, that's actually his government name. Uh, we talk about helping millennials make money, save money, and get out of debt. It's Paychecks and Balances. You can go to the website at paychecksandbalances.com, or as you mentioned, we're in every podcast player that you can think of. You can find it. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for coming on. I'll wrap this up for our listeners. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, as always, you can find us on Instagram at Planantial, and you can check out our classes. Uh, at this point, we should have two classes live for you at www.planantial.com. Hopefully, this is the last time you'll hear this ad, because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts, or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. 
Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.